0: G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, the long-awaited Ubuntu 2204.1 LTS release is out and we're here to cover the best ways to upgrade and get all the sweet new goodness that is in that release. Plus, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the last week. Now, this week, we'll be looking at updates for things like the NVIDIA graphics drivers, OpenJDK, Django, LibXML. The Linux kernel and a heap more. So, without wasting any time, let's just get straight into that. So, this week there were 52 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team, and up first was updates for the NVIDIA graphics drivers. So, these are three different CVEs, and therefore all of our long-term releases, so 1804, 2004, and 2204 long-term support, got these updates. Uh, The first of these was a local privilege escalation by, uh, as NVIDIA described it, a user with basic capabilities. I'm not sure if they then mean, uh, you know, a user with some technical capabilities, or perhaps that means with not very many privileges, probably just access to things like video device and the like. But they were able to trigger a likely memory corruption and apparently also could perform a denial of service, uh, perform data tampering and info leaks. I say apparently because NVIDIA really don't give a lot of information on the nature of these vulnerabilities, but yeah, that is what their description says. There was also a fix for a null pointer reference in the kernel driver that could be triggered again from a local user with basic capabilities, uh, resulting in a denial of service. Uh, but the other one that I wanted to look at, the vulnerability here, was uh, within a, a component that actually isn't enabled by default, but I thought it was interesting to look at nonetheless, which is uh, their dynamic boost component. So that's kind of a system service that they provide for doing automatic uh, power control for the CPU and the GPU, so that then they can uh, essentially control overall system power usage and get most maximum performance per watt as they describe it uh, the way they do that is with a debus service I have this nvidia PowerD d uh, component that you enable you also then enable a, a Dbus configuration so that it can start automatically it can be talked to over debus by this component to then control various things the problem was that uh, it ships a debus policy file and so Dbus does access control essentially uh, making sure that only you know the users that are configured to enable or to be able to communicate with certain services can and can use certain methods all that kind of stuff but it was wide open. So essentially any user could, uh, you know, therefore control uh, power of the CPU and all the like uh, through that component uh, that was updated then to ship, you know, a much more, it's got a locked down policy as well. But as I say, that isn't enabled by default. So there's two things you need to do. If you want to turn this on, you need to sort of copy the uh, DBUS policy from uh, the example directory into uh, etc cetera, uh, DBUS.1 slash system.d so that DBUS can find it. Plus you also need to enable uh, the systemd service as well. Uh, Nvidia PowerD as well. So yeah uh, but if you are using that uh, you know that is now a bit safer you will probably need to go and manually update that debus policy file yourself now because it won't be updated on upgrade uh, as far as I can tell. After that was an update for OpenJDK this goes through to all of our releases uh, plus 1604 uh, extended security maintenance so that's uh, 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support and 22.04 long-term support as well. 10 different CVEs were rolled into this. Uh, Some of these are only for uh, the later releases of OpenJDK. And so in this update, we've updated OpenJDK 8 for all of those releases uh, and for the later releases. So that's 1804, 24 and 22 for long-term support. We've updated OpenJDK 11 and OpenJDK 17 as well. Most interesting of the vulnerabilities that were fixed here was this Java psychic signatures bug. And I've linked in the show notes uh, to a blog post that talks about this. And Oracle themselves describe this as an easily exploitable vulnerability. And you know when Oracle is doing that, that it actually probably is. In this case, uh, it's essentially where an attacker is able to forge certain SSL certificates, uh, and that's ones using EC-DSA signatures, elliptic curve uh, DSA, and then allow them to essentially intercept or modify communications without being detected. And so uh, looking at this a bit further we see that when uh, adding support for validating ECDSA signatures in OpenJDK it failed to check that the provided signature values were not zero so uh, in I guess the maths for this a signature consists of two values r and s and they are then used to perform a bunch of calculations to check that the signature itself is valid it essentially involves comparing the value r against um, r multiplied by a value that gets derived from s so on one side of this equation you've got r equals r times something that's derived from s and so if r and s are both zero you've essentially got a check of zero equals zero and not surprisingly that passes now uh, to make sure that you know obviously this isn't uh, a Bug that affects everything the first thing you do when you're checking ecdsa signatures is to make sure that both rns aren't zero now obviously this java code wasn't doing that and that then means that if you provide essentially a zero signature value uh that it would uh pass and the reason they call this psychic signatures it refers to uh i guess a doctor who kind of meme where doctor who would show a blank piece of paper you know saying it's a psychic uh you know signature to, to people to prove who he was and so it's the same sort of thing here you can provide a blank ecdsa signature essentially zero and it would then validate as true so uh, yeah that ha- essentially affects anything in java that's using ecdsa signatures so that can include things like uh, signed uh, javascript web tokens uh, saml assertions web author messages anything really that's using ecdsa signatures so yeah uh, big impact from that one uh, note it does only affect the later versions of openjdk so that's openjdk 15 through 18 uh, 15 and 16 actually aren't supported anymore 17 and 18 are uh, we ship 17 in Ubuntu, hence why that has been updated there. Uh, note that versions uh, before that weren't affected because this code used to be implemented in C++, and then was written in uh, native Java for later versions of OpenJDK. So yeah, that's why uh, we've only updated for those later versions. And you know, so even say OpenJDK 11, which is the standard uh, JRE in Ubuntu, uh, isn't affected because it's uh, you know, old enough to not be affected by this vulnerability. Uh, There was an update for Django for our later releases, so Ubuntu 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support, a single CVE here, uh, described as a possible reflected file download attack. Uh, This is the first time I've heard of one of these and I thought it would definitely be interesting to dig into that. Looks like it was first detailed in Black Hat Europe in 2014. Uh, Essentially it's uh, a type of vulnerability where you can cause a web application to virtually download a file from a trusted domain and then uh, that file gets executed and it gets executed because it came from this trusted domain. You essentially get trust from making it essentially appear to be downloaded from this trusted domain. Now it usually involves an application failing to validate input such that the attacker can inject uh, some input and usually into some a crafted header content that then gets reflected into the response body as well by the web application in this case and then usually that then uh, can end up as the result or within the contents of a file on disk and you usually have to control the file name as well but assuming you can do all of that you can essentially then cause uh, a file name to get downloaded from uh, an untrusted site that appears to have been uh, from a trusted one through this reflection now in this case specific to django in this case if a django application was setting the content disposition header of a file response object that was then based on a file name which got derived from user input you the user or the attacker could then control both file name and the content disposition and therefore cause this content to get injected and therefore a file to be downloaded so yeah it was then fixed to escape the file name that uh, was essentially provided so then you couldn't inject that content directly we had an update for GNU TLS as well two different CVEs for Ubuntu 18.04, 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support one of these was a null pointer dereference the other one was a double free that could occur during verification of PKCS7 signatures likely resulting in a denial of service Mod WSGI was updated as well for uh, Ubuntu releases 18.04, 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support. Single CVE because it would pass through the x client IP header to the WSGI applications that were running underneath it, even though it came from an untrusted proxy. So it would essentially allow uh, unintended access to services uh, behind that. We also had an update for LibXML2. I think this one wins the award for the oldest CVE fix this week. This is from 2016. Now, uh, don't let that alarm you. This CVE hasn't, well, I guess this this bug has existed since 2016. However, the CVE has only existed for a couple of weeks. So we've only really been aware of it uh, since then. And so we've tried to patch it as timely as possible. Uh, In this case, it affects uh, older versions of LibXML2. So that's for Ubuntu releases, 16.04 extended security maintenance, 18.04 long-term support and 20.04 long-term support. Newer versions were not uh, affected. And we'll go into a bit of detail as to why. So looking at this bug, it was possible HTML or code injection, uh, LibXML2 who is an XML parsing library and is often used for handling HTML as well and essentially fail to properly escape uh, server-side includes and therefore you can inject content through that and therefore things like cross-site scripting attacks and the like uh, could be mounted. Looking at the details behind this, uh, as I say, because it's from 2016, I thought it'd be interesting to look at. Uh, It was originally reported to the GNOME project who uh, maintained the XML2 back in 2016. uh, And it was seemingly ignored for a couple of years. Uh, So there was this bug report with a single comment in it, sort of detailing all the the nature of the vulnerability. Uh, Then there was a comment in 2018, sort of saying, you know, can we get some action on this? Uh, It even then started mentioning that there were various other libraries that had very similar bugs in them that had had CVS, Assigned, and if we go through the history of the bug, we actually see three times do so they mention three other libraries uh, that had the same bug in them uh, that all got CVEs assigned, but yet seemingly in 2018, so that's still two years after it was first reported, no CVE had yet been assigned it seems a CVE was assigned a few weeks ago so that's how when we became aware of it and have gone and patched it but uh, really the fix here was just to revert some code that got introduced that would uh, so that would, that would then turn off escaping of server-side includes so now they are properly escaped but yeah interesting I guess that uh, the projects didn't follow up on this uh, the reporter who reported it didn't really follow up to try and get a CVE assigned You yeah, probably at any point they could have just gone to MITRE and got a CVE assigned particularly nowadays getting CVEs assigned is a lot easier and a lot faster than it used to be to be so yeah if anyone does find a bug and you report it to a project and they're not being responsive I urge you to go directly to MITRE or to some other organization to try and get a CVE signed because effectively that's the only way that these things really do get fixed as we can see later Ubuntu releases like 2204 long-term support are not affected because this code actually got reverted two years ago so it's essentially silently fixed two years ago uh, without a CVE being assigned. That then means later versions of libxml 2 that are shipped in the later versions of Ubuntu uh, are I guess, essentially automatically patched, but it's just by luck really that we are now shipping later versions. It could be possible that you know, we could have stuck with an older version there or, or similar. So yeah, see, getting CVs assigned is the way that bugs and well, particularly security vulnerabilities do get fixed. So if you find one, yeah, do your best to get a CVE assigned so that all the projects can be aware of it and can patch it. But moving on, we also had an update for PHP Lite Admin, one CVE here for Ubuntu 18.04 and 24 long-term support. Uh, It was possible cross-site scripting that could occur through uh, failure to validate the new rows parameter in the index.php page. Uh, Libjpeg turbo was updated for extended security maintenance releases, so 4.04 and 6.04 extended security maintenance here. Uh, four different CVs here, various memory corruption issues, uh, heap and stack buffer overflows. Uh, there was a logic issue as well as a failure to limit overall memory consumption. So then you would get a very large uh, memory usage when decompressing corrupted content and denial of service through both of those. GDK pixbuff was updated for Ubuntu 24 long term support. Now this was a heat buffer overflow that could be triggered through crafted animated gifs so yeah if you're viewing any animated gifs uh yeah, you could have been exposed to this the chance to lead to code execution but uh particularly really only on 32-bit platforms where you've got much limited address space uh but yeah that has been fixed as well uh, GStreamer good plugins was updated as well for some of our older releases so 1604 oxygen security maintenance 18.04 long-term support and 20.04 long-term support Seven CVs here, uh, these are various integer overflows and the like that could lead uh, to heat buffer overflows uh, in various video codec handlers. So uh, GStreamer is a sort of media decoding framework uh, used by things like uh, you know Videos or it used to be called Totem, uh, a bunch of other applications as well. Uh, so yeah, if you are handling, uh, I guess, media, you're a little bit safer now. Uh, Libcdio was updated. Haven't seen this library for a long time, but uh, for uh, Ubuntu 4204 and 604 extended security maintenance, uh, respectively. uh, This is used for reading and controlling audio CD data. So uh, you know I don't use CDs anymore. Uh, My laptop doesn't even have a CD drive, and I assume it's probably the same with most people. But uh, you know if you are using CD still, you could have been exposed to this. Or I guess if you're uh, you know parsing uh, audio ISO images, uh, you could have been uh, attacked by this. Essentially. It was two different memory management issues that could be triggered through crafted ISO files. One of them was a heat buffer over freed. The other one was a null point of dereference, both of those leading to a denial of service. So not you know, super high priority, but they've been fixed for libcdio. Kernel updates were after that. So of the kernel updates, uh, the two most interesting vulnerabilities were both in the networking subsystem. So we're going to look at those, uh, but there were a bunch of other vulnerabilities fixed as well across these kernel updates. Uh, we had an update for the 4.4 kernel that's used in 6.04 extended security maintenance and also for 4.04 extended security maintenance Uh, there was a use after free in the network packet scheduler so a user could create a route filter which when removed would still be referred to by other data structures and that leads to then a very simple use after free uh, trigger a denial of service through that or potentially code execution and similarly, in the NetFilter subsystem, you could have one uh, NFT object. Now, these aren't uh, non-fudgeable tokens. <laughs> they are, uh, you know, NFT rules be used for doing filtering of traffic. Uh, uh, but I digress. One NFT object could be referred to by an NFT set in another table, and that would then lead to a possible use after free. Similarly, we had kernel updates for uh, the uh, 4.15 kernel that's used for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. This is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for 16.04 extended security maintenance and 14.04 extended security maintenance on Azure. Uh, Various bunch of vulnerabilities here, as I said before, plus uh, the two network-related use after freeze that I just talked about as well. Couple more packages to go through. We've got an update for GNOME Web for Ubuntu releases 24 and 22 for long-term support. Uh, this is also known as the Epiphany web browser. It's not the default browser, but you know, if you were had that installed, you've now got four vulnerabilities here that were fixed for you. Three of these were different cross-site scripting issues. Uh, one of them was a possible buffer overflow that could be triggered through a very long page title. Essentially, in this case, uh, when the title is very long, uh, GNOME Web would go and helpfully ellipsize that. But it then wouldn't take into account uh, the UTF-8 length of the ellipsis within the length of the title string. And then you could then overflow the bounds of that buffer as a result, uh, tricking its denial of service or possible remote code execution. And the last update for this last week was for Moment.js. This is for Ubuntu releases 18.04, 20.04 and 22.04 long-term support. Two vulnerabilities were fixed here. This is a date handling library for Node.js applications. Uh, The first of these was actually a path traversal vulnerability, which I thought was interesting, given that this thing is for handling dates. How do you get files and paths out of that? But if you could end up getting Moment.js to change the uh, locale through a user-provided string, it would then uh, result in reading of arbitrary local files. Uh, Plus, there was a fix for a regular expression denial-of-service vulnerability. Essentially, it had a, a quadratic complexity algorithm through the use of regular expressions to parse strings Uh, when trying to parse them into dates in particular uh, it tries to parse rfc 2822 format uh, dates by default and so you can then craft a heap of content that then uh, these regular expressions spend all their time kind of chewing uh, up the cpu trying to process that and you get a cpu-based denial of service as a result and that is it for the week in security updates Okay, so the other content that I wanted to cover this week, finally, is the release of Ubuntu 2204.1, the first of the point releases for the latest Ubuntu uh, long-term support release. This was announced uh, just yesterday my time, or probably just today for most people listening to this. If you're listening to this not long after I've published it, this release, as we talked about last week, is actually a week late uh, due to kind of a late breaking bug in SnapD that did get fixed. I've got a link in the show notes to the release notes, um, plus the full list of changes that have been targeted at this uh, along the way. So if you are uh, running Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support, you essentially already have this. You know, You don't need to install from the ISO or anything. As long as you've been installing your updates, you have all the updates that have gone into this. It includes all the various bug fixes and security fixes that I've talked about uh, since the release went out. So, yeah, if you are running it and you've been upgrading, you already have 2204.1. But if you're not, now is the time when you'll uh, essentially be prompted to upgrade. Uh, so the update manager will pop up and say, a new version of Ubuntu is available. Do you want to upgrade? And I recommend you do. You know, I think that 2204 is an awesome release. I'm running it on my machines. Uh, it is great. But I did want to go over, I guess, my recommendation for how to upgrade, so when the, uh, the dialogue pops up saying, do you wanna upgrade? Uh, you're running under a graphical desktop and so this is targeted really at desktop users uh, for server users, uh, essentially you'll do what I talk about but you'll just do that uh, by the way you do it because uh, that's how you do the upgrade on server. But on desktop, you get prompted through this graphical application that pops up on your desktop and says, do you wanna upgrade? If you say yes, you click that and it does it all through, you know, nice graphical GUI interface. You can keep using all your applications and browsing the web and reading your email and all the rest of it while that is happening. But I actually don't recommend you do that. I know that we've done a lot of testing to try to make sure that that's all as safe as possible. But the nature of doing online updates like that is that some applications, when they go and have uh, libraries swapped out from underneath them while they're running, can run into difficulty. You know, they can essentially end up crashing because symbol names change and all the kind of uh, things like that. So, uh, my recommendation is to not do it through the GUI. Instead, I recommend you do it from a virtual terminal. Now, probably most people listening to this know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, uh, don't fret. Uh, so, a virtual terminal is, I guess, the way that Ubuntu server users interact with their machine. It's like a full-screen terminal window. It's not running on a nice graphical desktop or anything like that. Uh, it's back to, I guess, the old-school way that people interacted with Linux. Uh, You get this by hitting Control or F2 or Control or F3. Uh, If you want to get back to your nice graphical desktop, you hit Control or F1. But uh, first, I recommend that you log out as your user. That then means essentially you've got no graphical applications running, none of the usual desktop stack is running. That means you've got as m- I guess the minimal amount of applications running as your user as possible. That means there's less things to potentially crash and kind of or pull out from underneath of the upgrade process. You know, really, what we're trying to avoid here is say if you run the upgrade from uh, your graphical session, if that does crash while running, uh, then you know your your system can be left in this kind of halfway state where it has some of the libraries from say 20 or full long long-term support and some from 22 or full long long-term support. And then it's a little bit of a convoluted process to go and salvage that. So yeah, my recommendation is to switch to one of these virtual terminals, Control Alt F2. You then get presented with a full screen terminal where you log in you know, using your normal username and password. And then from there, you can run a sudo do release upgrade. Now, this is actually the same as the upgrade process that happens for Ubuntu server users. It's exactly the same. You get uh, then prompted to kind of walk through, you know, do you want to upgrade? It goes and pulls down the latest uh, sources. It checks what the new upgrade release is, starts to uh, upgrade your apt sources, and then starts pulling down all the new updates and starts installing them. As I say, the reason I recommend you do it this way is then you've got basically nothing running as your user. You're really only running uh, like kind of the login shell and that's it. You're not running, say, you know, all of X or maybe all of Wayland and GNOME Shell and, and all the rest of it at the same time. So yeah, that's certainly my way. I recommend that you do it that that way and hopefully you have less issues when upgrading. But yeah, I do recommend you upgrade. Uh, and I also recommend you check out a slick new video that uh, the team has put together detailing all the awesome new stuff that's in Ubuntu Desktop 2204 Long-Term Support. I've got a link to that in the show notes as well it's on youtube and yeah it's really cool so get excited get upgrading and let me know what you think all right that takes us to the end of this week's episode as usual if you want to get in contact with a team you can reach us at securityubuntu.com. we also hang out in the ubuntu security channel on libero.chat the irc network and we also are on twitter too at ubuntu underscore So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.